0: It's been a little more than two months since Oklahoma recorded its first case of COVID-19. But today, the number of total confirmed cases has surpassed 4,500, and the number of Oklahomans who have died because of the coronavirus is nearing 300. However, a week and a half since Oklahoma businesses were allowed to reopen, state officials say Oklahoma continues to trend in the right direction. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder and on this week's episode of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, I'm joined by my colleague Cassie McClung as we discuss whether or not those positive trends really indicate that the coronavirus pandemic is getting better in Oklahoma, what the latest numbers on testing mean, and whether the state is actually testing enough Oklahomans to have a good handle on whether or not the pandemic is under control. This episode was recorded on Sunday, May 10th. Hey, Cassie, how's it going?
1: It's going good, Ben. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Uh, happy Mother's Day. I, mean, I know you're not a mother. Um, you're a puppy mother don't you have a, a yeah. new puppy in the household but uh, hopefully, hopefully you had a it good mother's a day bit. hanging out with <laughs> it sounds like you got to spend some time with you, with your mom today
1: Yeah yeah it was really nice I hadn't really gotten to see her for a couple of months now so it was nice to kind of chat with her and spend some time with her
0: Well that's great I'm glad to hear that and uh you know you hadn't seen your your mom in, in a couple of months since all this mm-hmm. began I I still haven't really seen my mom and but uh, it sounds like some people are able to get together a little bit more as we kind of continue to phase into that kind of, you know, kind of sense of normalcy. Um, yeah, you know, bit more businesses are, are opening up, we're about a, a, a little more than a week since restaurants in most parts of the state were allowed to reopen. Um, what have we seen as a result? Have we seen anything in the in the numbers of cases and hospitalizations? or Are things still headed in the direction that health officials have been saying for the last couple of weeks?
1: Yeah. So I think it's too early since we did start phase one of the governor's plan to reopen a little more than a week ago now. I think it's too early to be drawing numbers from any kind of uptick we might see from reopening. We probably won't see that for another week or so. But um, so the health department has been increasing testing and increasing tracing efforts since the state started to open up. So since we last spoke on May 3rd, there have been 738 new cases reported, but at the same time hospitalizations have still been going down. So, we saw a peak of hospitalizations on March 31st when there were 562 people in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But on Friday, um they don't report these numbers over the weekend. So, Friday's the most current numbers we have. Um there were 177 people reported to be hospitalized either for COVID-19 or they were being treated for COVID-like symptoms and um, they were waiting a diagnosis of uh, their test to come back. So um, since March 31st, the number has been steadily going down, even though we're seeing more cases.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the governor had a press conference last week, late last week, in which he showed some slides comparing Oklahoma to other states. And the big mm-hmm. takeaway for him was that compared to a lot of states we're we're doing well when it comes to the, in, the infection rate. Uh, when it comes to the the trend lines, the number of hospitalizations, uh, the big message from the governor was: compared to other states, we are are doing good. Is, is that the sense that you mm-hmm. get as you kind of look at the complete data?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to say because we are. I know the governor is looking a lot at the hospitalizations, and it's it's hard to tell just by new cases now, since testing and tracing efforts are expanding. But one of the things the governor is looking at and infectious disease experts are also looking at is um, the number, oh, I guess the percentage of positive tests compared to the total number of tests completed. Okay. So going back to those experts, so experts have said that a lower positive rate pro- probably indicates more widespread testing. So at the beginning of all this, you know, Oklahoma was only testing Healthcare workers, the elderly, those at really high risk who were, you know, really sick, those who are hospitalized. But now that, you know, the governor has been saying even if you don't have any symptoms, to be tested. Obviously, that's expanding. So, like I said, I am in mid-April. Uh, the state had tested around thirty-five thousand people. Uh, the rate was above seven percent for the positive rate. But now that the state, and this is as Friday of of Friday, the state has done more than 96,000 tests, and the positive rate went down to 4.7. So more tests, lower percentage rate, indicates widespread testing. The hospitalizations, the reported number has been going down. So um, the state, for the White House standards, for the governor's standards, um, the state's on track to enter phase two of the reopening plan this Friday.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about testing a little bit. I mean, you talk yeah. about that, you know, the, those high, the high positive rates kind of indicate that you're not you're not testing enough people mm-hmm. um, and, and that that was the case last month. And now, you know, that that positive rate has gone down. You know, I'm looking at this this chart uh, published by NPR and it's got a list of, of of every state. It looks at their their test per one hundred thousand and it looks at their positive test rate. And it really mm-hmm. is when you when you the higher or the lower the rate per. Per 100,000, the higher the positive test ratio. So these numbers mm-hmm. may be a couple days old because for, for Oklahoma they're they're a little bit different than what you just said. But it's saying that we're testing 78 per 100,000, and that the mm-hmm. positive return rate is 3.4. So off 5%. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, these days, I'm not sure ex- what point in time the data is from. It, it's the story was published four days ago, so okay. I, don't, I don't know if they're updating it every day. But at oh. least from four days ago, but when you look at uh, say West Virginia, for example, 101 mm-hmm. people per 100,000 and their positive rate is is 1.2. Uh, wow. Kansas is 62, so slightly less than us, but their positive rate is 15.8%. Um, that's, that's interesting, you know, a neighboring state mm-hmm. that has, has that that kind of a high rate. So w- we're talking about the idea of, of, of testing as many people as you can. And I, I remember when we were doing this podcast daily a few weeks ago, at that point, we were just testing people who had symptoms, and mm-hmm. then it was testing people who had come in contact with those who had symptoms, and, and fast forward to today, and, and for the last couple of weeks, the state's been saying, everyone should get a test if, if they want a test. Right. Cassie, one thing that's interesting to me, we talked about that press conference with the governor last week, and I was kind of live mm-hmm. tweeting it and sharing some of the stuff that he was sharing, and a very common response I get from people, especially those who are kind of skeptical of the state's response, and, and skeptical of the governor and his team they'll say Mm -hmm. the governor can't realistically say things are getting better because we haven't tested enough people to know that right now before we talk about whether that's true or not the implication is that the state needs to test more people Mm -hmm. but we've been kind of talking about this for a couple weeks the the state is saying that it has the capacity to test almost everybody who wants to test the capacity is not an issue that they've got the testing equipment and maybe that's not case that a Maybe there's a specific testing site that ran out one day, but statewide, the state is saying they've got the testing capacity to test everyone who wants to test. So if we are not testing enough people, is that a problem with the Department of Health? Is that a problem with our population of people just not going out and getting testing? I mean, what's Mm -hmm. the answer if the state says we have enough tests, um, but we aren't, at the end of the day, testing enough people based on what uh, experts are saying? It's kind of a mouthful, I know.
1: Yeah, no, no, but I see you're saying it's a great question, and I wish I had a good answer for you, but, you know, we've been kind of trying to talk through this as well, me and you, and I'm not sure where the problem lies because, you know, we've been watching the press conferences as well with the governor and members of his cabinet, and, you know, they've even said we need more testing. If we want more surveillance, we need more testing, so anyone can go out and get a test, but you know, you kind of talked about some other states having lower positive rates than Oklahoma does. And, you know, 4.7%, it's much lower than from where the state started, but it's still higher than other states. So I'm not sure where the holdup is because it's not like, I guess the state could actively go out and, you know, try to get people tested, but I don't know if that's the best practice, if other states are doing that. So I think the state's just hoping people will come to them at this point
0: yeah and, and I you know when I had this question last week and I, I, I started to take a look at what some other states were doing, especially those who have mm-hmm. a better testing rate and I can't really find states that seem like they're being more aggressive in collecting tests than we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean I have not seen an example and if someone's listening and knows t- t- a case of this feel free to, to reach out to me but yeah, I mean, there's not a case of states that are going door to door obviously there's not a, a case of, of forced testing um, you know, without, without the exception of maybe being in a hospital and having symptoms. And so Mm -hmm. I really, it sounds like I'm trying to say, Hey, it's not the government's fault. It's the people's fault. It's not what I'm saying at all. But I, I wonder if for the average Oklahoman or our, our population, our residents, if there feels like a less of an urgency on our part to get tested. Now that may be because we have fewer people Mm -hmm. that have symptoms, which would be a good thing if that's truly the case. Um, it may be because we're not taking it as seriously as we need to, or that we're not as panicked about this because I, I've heard stories of people who are going out to get tested, who are like, I have no symptoms. I have no reason to think I'm sick. I just want to sleep better at night by taking this test and and seeing that it's a negative result.
1: Sure. And I think it's probably a combination of those things. Um, I think it's going to be, take a little bit more digging talking to more experts to really get a good answer on that, because I I don't think it's just I don't think there's one single reason why we're not seeing more testing. But I know, you know, uh, we talked about this earlier this week or last week, I guess, that the state is trying to test everyone in nursing homes now. Mm -hmm. Um, They're starting saliva testing. So we'll probably keep seeing those numbers go up as far as the confirmed cases go, but that doesn't mean we're going to see the hospitalization um, number go up. So, yeah, I think I think we'll keep seeing the testing number go up uh, with the reopening of the state. I don't know, you know, we haven't seen at what rate that might go up here in a week or two.
0: Yeah, and and I think when you know people who say that the state is not testing enough, they are right. If you want to look at um, at expert guidelines that are saying yeah. you know, how how many people you know per one hundred thousand you need. You, then you need to test. And I think the number is like right. 150 is what mm-hmm. they say states need to do. And almost every state, except for maybe a couple, are, are below that. Uh, you know, some mm-hmm. more below that than others, obviously. But uh, so I, I think it is true that we aren't testing enough to maybe get that accurate, accurate picture, yeah. at least from the perception of those who are kind of experts in this field. But I'm still kind of trying to determine where is that breakdown because not only does the Department of Health have these mobile testing sites but I know mm-hmm. I saw a release last week that I think it was Blue Cross was was going to be doing some mobile testing sites uh, at least mm-hmm. here, here in the city so there there seems to be I I know for, I know one thing to be true that the narrative if there is a narrative that people can't get the test that, that no longer seems to be the case unless yeah. it's on an individual basis that a particular site maybe ran out of the swabs or, or something like that but uh Um, Mm -hmm. But you and I have talked about it. That test is is pretty intrusive, you know, that nasal swab. And it's kind of, you know, we kind of, you know, laugh at that idea. But I I wonder if that, you know, that's got to deter people from taking that test compared to, say, a saliva test.
1: I think it does. And the states you listed off earlier, I don't know if they're using that method as well with the nasal swab. Um, But I do know a big reason why the state you know, start trying to get that saliva testing, especially for older people in mm-hmm. those elder care facilities, you know, there's people in there who have dementia, who have other health problems, mental health problems. And I think that swab can be pretty alarming, you know, it's kind of aggressive. So I could see why it would deter someone from maybe wanting to go get tested.
0: Yeah, and you wrote about this recently. So nursing homes have been a hot spot all across the country, and especially here in Oklahoma. And so one of the things the state's trying to do is is they're trying to test everyone they can in nursing home, starting with staff and then and then moving on to residents. And, right. you know, one of the things that you wrote about, and maybe you can tell us a little about your story from a few days ago, was like you just mentioned that it's a lot easier to get the testing done with saliva than compared to those those nasal swabs, especially when you're trying to test, uh, you know, residents of a nursing or long care facility.
1: Yeah, so the governor... And his task force actually formed a new task force just to focus on these elder care facilities, because um, when I wrote this story, I think people, residents of these facilities, as well as two staff members, make up about 45 percent of all reported deaths in the state. So the state has kind of shifted their attention to responding to these nursing homes as of about mid-April. So the governor said that he is going to test every resident, every staff member at these nursing homes by the end of May. Hmm. And as of last Wednesday, um, they had tested, I think, a little over a third of those residents and staff. Um, and that's about a little over twelve thousand out of thirty-one thousand. So they're putting it's a they're doing a really big push for testing um, once the virus gets into those facilities, it's it's really hard to contain it. Um, those facilities really are so vulnerable to this virus spread. You have all these people living in a communal-style uh, facility, uh, so naturally, you know, it's going to spread. And advocates are saying it's, it's really important that this testing gets done quickly because one of the things advocates told me, as well as the state, said that, you know, so the state we've talked about the state is reopening in tears and it's about to start phase two on Friday and we're already halfway a little bit over halfway through phase one. So even though these um, elderly adults are in these facilities and they're not, you know, in the public going to restaurants, going to these businesses, uh, experts, even the state told me that reopening puts these people at higher risk for getting the virus because the staff members are out and about more than they were when um, everything was shut down. So they are really watching the infection rates in staff members as the state continues to reopen. Um, and that's a big reason why they're doing that extra push for additional testing is because staff are coming in and out more.
0: Yeah, and that's where how it, how it would get in, right? Because I mean, in most yes. cases, residents aren't uh, aren't you know, leaving the facility or not doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. every day. And so you have staff coming in. That's why they've they've cut down on our our restricted visitors, even family from coming in. So. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's definitely an important component. And and right now in Oklahoma, our hotspots, our nursing homes, uh, there's, you know, the pork processing processing plant in the panhandle last week. That's had hundreds of cases. And and obviously that makes sense wherever you see kind of the highest density of people together is where is where we're seeing this spread.
1: Right. And, you know, aside from that, is because we've seen that COVID 19 has, I guess, more, has worse effects on those who are elderly and have underlying health conditions, that it's a lot more noticeable in places like nursing homes. Because, you know, even though a lot of people are asymptomatic, these people, because they have underlying health conditions and they are older, they're more likely to show signs of having the virus, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, it does. I, I want to mention a, a tweet that I saw uh, yesterday or Saturday um, mm-hmm. from from John Budd, who is the chief operating officer for for Governor Stitt, and he's also mm-hmm. leading the ta- the coronavirus task force uh, for the governor. Mm-hmm. I don't, he had a Twitter thread on Saturday. I'm not sure if you caught it, but um, you know, I did not. One tweet that I thought was interesting. Um, I think it's an interesting point, and it's also, I think requires notice when the, the leader of the mm-hmm. task force is talking about his perspective on the coronavirus is, he kind of put together four variables to try to determine, you know, which states may be most uh, vulnerable to the coronavirus and this and, and he didn't yeah. try to take this as an end all be all or a very, even a scientific equation. He was just kind of looking mm-hmm. at some variables and I, and I thought that he had some interesting points. So he, the four variables he looked at were population density annual public transit ridership, or, or trips per capita, adult obesity rates, which in turn, he was kind of looking at a, as a proxy for overall health, and then the mm-hmm. average springtime temperature. So mm. uh, at springtime temperature, this idea that maybe as it warms up, people, maybe, maybe the virus isn't as strong, or maybe they aren't as mm. susceptible. There's, that idea has kind of been out there. Population density, as we just talked about, Public transit trips. I mean, obviously that makes sense if you're around Mm -hmm. crowds of people moving throughout the city, and then overall health rate. He he put this on a on a splatter plot, and Mm. um, when when you look at it, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, those are the states that are the highest up there. Um, and then down near the bottom, uh, Oklahoma is like third or fourth to the bottom. Um, so when you look at it, you kind of you can see that story being told. I mean, obviously New York has been the place that's hit hardest. Uh, Michigan, Louisiana they're at least in the upper third of of states on this chart I, I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing once again, not a I don't think he was making a case that this was the an exact science, mm-hmm. but uh, you know I think these are important factors to look at yeah. when it comes to the spread. Obviously, density is a big one. Um, I maybe expected Oklahoma to be a little higher because the one thing on that uh, one variable that we actually are maybe higher on would be the obesity rate and on our overall health rankings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um so I haven't seen that scatter plot yet, but I can talk a little bit about how we were talking about you know the oklahomans having kind of I don't want to say maybe like worse health health outcomes compared to other states. And kind of a couple of weeks ago I was talking to an epidemiologist who said that and I, I'll i have to go back and check and see where Oklahoma's death rate falls, but that because the state has such higher, you know, rates of obesity and heart disease and, you know, myriad of, I guess, of underlying health factors that our death rate would probably be higher than other states. Um, but as far as population density goes, um, it, it would make sense that we were kind of on the lower end, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, I remember one of our early podcasts talking about that idea of does, is our, is our poor health outcomes going to make us especially vulnerable? We don't have the mm-hmm. risk that say New York does or California does when you look at population density, but if health, if, uh, overall health factors are, are a variable to look at, that was one area where, where we really struggle. And mm-hmm. I don't want to say that i am surprised because you know i didn't necessarily make a prediction on that but i i was worried about that and I, I i guess we we need to look at the data in more detail and look at the totality of this thing see where we end up going in months and years from now but um we haven't become a hot spot state at least it doesn't appear yeah. yet um but that was one of the things i, I remember us talking about whether or not our, our our overall poor health outcomes were going to make us a, a vulnerable target
1: right and I've talked to experts who have said that I'd have to look and see how our number of reported deaths compares to, you know, our population and compare that to other States. But I did talk to some epidemiologists who were concerned that that would be the case, that Oklahoma would see a higher death rate because, you know, there is more people who smoke people, you know, who are obese, um, stuff like that, that, that could contribute to how many deaths we see here because as we know, um, and as we've heard, you know, from experts and researchers, having those underlying conditions can increase your risk for s- more serious outcomes if you get sick from COVID-19. Yeah,
0: no, definitely. Well, um, we we kind of enter another week, new things to look at. I, I'm mm-hmm. curious, what what are some things that you're going to be interested to to follow along this week when it when it comes to the the pandemic here in Oklahoma?
1: Yeah. So since the state is looking at starting phase two of the reopening plan on Friday, which would be May 15th, um, I'm going to be looking at how the state's contact tracing efforts are going. Mm. You know, I wrote a story about it last week. It's just such a critical piece of reopening the state. It, you know, it helps identify where those breakouts are if we do see any breakouts here of COVID-19, um, and it kind of like it helps experts in the state understand how the virus is spreading. And I know uh, Health Commissioner Cox said, I think it was last week, that the health department was really trying to grow its workforce of contract of contact tracers. So I I want to see how that effort's going, and I think that's going to be really important moving forward.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely an important yeah. factor.
1: What are
0: you looking at? Well, I, a couple of things. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Health Commissioner Cox. Um, mm-hmm. He's uh, uh, some some speculation that he may not get his Senate confirmation um, for those that mm-hmm. have been covering politics in the state capitol. But there's been several stories of, of of maybe the Senate committee required to to confirm his appointment of which he was appointed last year, that that might be in doubt. It just it just seems like there there's maybe some more pressure being put on or um, well, at least on Health Commissioner Cox and, and mm-hmm. even the governor. And some of that's not directly related to the coronavirus. I mean, he's still kind of in a back and forth right now with the legislature over the next fiscal year budget. Um, but even the health department is, you know, is coming under fire a little bit with, uh, with the attorney general requesting an audit. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is an agency that has had its share of problems in, in recent years. And so um, I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see how where that goes, you know, what more things that we learn from the health department, uh, how does Commissioner Cox respond uh, to to this kind of growing growing pressure. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I think now that school is over in many districts, Oklahoma City's mm-hmm. last day was, was May 8th and,
1: okay. and others
0: are ending this week or next week. I, I think for the State Department of Ed, their attention is going to shift a lot more towards the next school year and, and kind of preparing for a bunch of scenarios. Uh, mm-hmm. I suspect that we will hear fairly soon, or in the next couple of weeks, that the the state is assuming schools will start on time if yeah. as long as, as the, the trends kind of continue. But I think there will be a lot of plans and preparations for what to do if things change, if we see another spike during during the school year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that'll be an interesting thing to, to see how, how the state and also how school districts are kind of taking a lesson learned from the last couple of months to prepare for maybe another run at distance learning.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'm really interested to see how schooling evolves through all this. And I know a lot of people are interested in it too. So I'll be interested um, to see what you come up with.
0: Yeah, and I think I'm also kind of just continue to be curious how, what the, I wanna say post COVID because we're not post, but it does feel Mm -hmm. like we are on the other side of something i guess maybe the other side of the peak maybe um you know as businesses are opening up and restaurants are opening up i'm really just kind of continue to be curious at how oklahomans are going to respond to that how many precautions are they going to continue to take that they weren't taking before this or in many parts of the state is it going to be right back to how life was before i think a lot of that's going to depend on where you are in the state and where you are even in the city i you know i was picking up some groceries from the pickup at Walmart today and and just was noticing that almost no one was that was walking inside the store was wearing a mask.
1: Yeah. And then afterwards
0: I went to Whole Foods where everyone was wearing a mask. And so <laughs> um you know maybe a little bit of a of a of a tell sign and who's going to Walmart and who's going to Whole Foods in terms of yeah. how they view the world but um I think that'll be interesting uh, interesting to watch.
1: No, I agree and I've noticed that too just anecdotally that I feel like for, you know, at least a lot of people, not everyone, but there's been kind of an attitude shift of feeling safer, maybe that, you know, this pandemic is dying down a little bit. I don't—I haven't seen that to be the case, but I, I have seen that attitude shift of less people wearing masks. Um, restaurants have started getting really crowded. Uh, people are going out more. So I'm, I'm really interested in how people respond to this too.
0: Yeah. And I think it's easy right now to kind of see this as a real big partisan issue. And in some ways it is, but mm-hmm. I, I think some of that may be Overblown a little bit. I mean, polling continues to show that the majority of Americans think this is a serious issue that, yeah. that requires uh, serious attention on both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, polls may show that more Democrats are taking it seriously than Republicans, but still a majority of Republicans. So I think the idea that this is right. a, a truly partisan issue uh, may be a little overblown. And if Oklahomans are a little, um, if Oklahomans aren't taking it quite as seriously, as, say, blue state New York, that may have less to do with our politics. I mean, that may be something to it, but it may have less to do with our politics and more to do with just our geography, right? I mean, I think we right. we see New York and we see what's happening and it's easy to think, well, that's Oklahoma is very different than New York. And, and in many ways, many ways it is. So maybe there is a sense mm-hmm. amongst Oklahomans that, well, this is still a, a, a crisis and on the coast, but it still hasn't hit, hit the heartland. They
1: line. have lost all principles and they've- Right, no, not- I see what you're saying. And obviously we haven't seen, you know, the pandemic unfold like New York City has. So, you know, it hit, you know, it hit New York City very hard, very differently than it's hit Oklahoma. So I see why people would think that. But I do think you're right that um, people, most people do take it seriously. And Oklahoma is going to look different than some of these more, I guess, densely populated cities do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, um, well, it'll be interesting to to follow a lot of those storylines. And we know you're you're on top of it, so continue to follow that coverage. So, hey, Cassie, thanks thanks for your time this week, and, and we'll talk again next week.
1: Yeah, thank you. Take care.
0: do it for this week's episode of COVID-19 in Oklahoma. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Listen Frontier podcast feed. That's the best way to stay on track with our future episodes of not just COVID-19 in Oklahoma, but our weekly Listen Frontier podcast. For the Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week.